Welcome back to a special bonus episode of Pod is a Woman. I'm Alejandra. I'm Darian. And I'm Johanna. And we promised to come back to briefly discuss last night's debate. And while there were a lot less fireworks than last week, there was still a lot of drama for us to unpack. Where should we start? Oh my goodness. I think that we should probably start with the apparent civility that existed and was completely different than the previous week. I thought it was civil, but then, you know, you saw on Twitter people going after Kamala for any of her actions, right? How she was looking at Pence or, you know, whether she was smirking, quote unquote. And I just kept being like, why are we not asking these questions of Mike Pence? It is driving me crazy. And he did a really good job, to your point, Darian, of appearing to be very civil. But there was this undercurrent with him. And there always seems to be where he kind of, you know, they say he lies with a very calm voice. You know, he still was saying a lot the way he was looking at her. It almost felt like he was restraining himself at several times. But the interrupting for me is what was the most grating. Not only interrupting Kamala Harris, interrupting Susan Page, they counted how many times he kept talking after being told that he had gone over his time. He kept going 45 times. Kamala Harris did that 13 times. I mean, look at the difference between those numbers. And how she was criticized. And I think that this is so telling of what it's like to be a woman, and especially a woman of color, in any level of business, and to have to have a level of restraint, and to see men talk over you, and to take away from the points that you were trying to make and not allow you to be present in that moment. And I just, that line where she says, I'm speaking, and the look that she gave him that let him know that she would not be talked over, I really appreciated that. And that she invited him to come back to a conversation once he was done with that is just like a mom with a child who's having a temper tantrum. And you just have to say, okay, when you're done, we can have a conversation. Well, because well, I think we've all been there, right? Yes. Haven't right. we all been <laughs> yes. there where we, we either say there. or feel like saying, I am speaking? You yeah. know, and even later on when she was ta- they were talking about criminal justice and, and she was giving her opinion as a prosecutor, and she had to say to Pence the same thing. She was saying, don't lecture me. Like, in yeah. other words, don't mansplain me. She's the one who me. actually yes. Exactly, <laughs> about the things that I actually am the expert. Yes, and that's the thing, is that he just thought he could keep going on. And so, for me, it was very frustrating watching, because I try to watch everything, but I was on Fox News watching post-debate uh, questions, and Brett Baer, whose show I've been on a number of times, asked it whether she was likable. And so I tweeted at him and I said, Brett Baer, the question of whether female candidate is likable is sexist. How about we ask if the men running are likable? We have her back. Well, so I just saw this morning that he actually wrote me back. And I did see that this like, for some reason, I think, you know, the universe has just started talking about this. But he said, that was a little low, your tweet. You know, I'm not sexist. Not, nor did I mean anything negative about asking the question. Not cool, but hope you're well. And I'm like, I was not trying to be low. I was giving you very straightforward feedback that this is the question that you ask of female candidates always. And we've been there. We've been there whether we're likable enough instead of our actual qualifications. And I am tired of seeing men ask this question of females who get to the top of their 
whatever it is profession likable or electable i mean it's an even it's an unconscious bias that he has that he might not understand is coming yes. to bear in his tweets but you exactly. if you can't check your own privilege in this and that you you were asking these questions it's not acceptable until you're called on it in the same way that when tina chin was on the show a couple of weeks ago we talked about someone has to call them out and say that it's not okay and someone has to have her back because it shouldn't be her responsibility as a candidate to have to push back on that she is likable she is electable and she's about to kick your ass and she's ambitious and being bold about that because that's another piece that, you know, women are often told, you know, oh, she's so ambitious, you know, with that kind of wink and nod of all the negative connotations that that means. Being ambitious is never a negative thing for a man. That's something you're praised about. But I want to go over to this other piece, which is the substance, because we have been talking yes. about just the way they relate. But even on the substance, I mean, he tried to hammer her on whether or not she would give a straight answer on packing the courts. He did not seem to give a straight answer on any question. I I can't think of an answer he gave on. He was asked about um, peaceful transfer of power, about their COVID response rate, about pre-existing conditions, about Roe versus Wade. I mean, he pivoted on every single question. And in this this wild way, a very slow, calm way, but he would say, oh, that's a good question. But I'd like to go back to... And then the audacity when he turned to Kamala and he asked her a question and he said, I, I want to know from you about packing the court. So here's a man who won't even answer the question of the moderator of Susan, but he is now deciding that Kamala Harris must answer his question. He demands and it. To go, he demands exactly, it. Exactly. That also, I think that made him look really bad. I think that female voters on both side of the, sides of the aisle saw that and again, felt this their skin crawl in the way that you do when people have done that to you in meetings or in public and demanded accountability when they don't stand for their own accountability. Well, he just wasn't telling the truth. I mean, he talked about how, you know, the economy is on the ticket right now. And that is not where you want to be. I mean, I get that this is where they are like hedging their bets and this is what they want to focus on. But you have one in five businesses, small businesses closed. 30 million people filing for unemployment. And you want to talk about the strength of the economy and say it's on the ticket? Damn right it is. Yes, exactly. And our manufacturing, even after he decided to do this fruitless trade war, is down. MAGA is actually not winning. They're driving the U.S. into massive amounts of debt. And like Trump's businesses, we have nothing to show for it. So, you know, like any of us who are concerned about our kids should absolutely look at the substance. Kamala, I loved when she brought up, Trump was silent on COVID, other than talking about it being a Democratic hoax until our stores were all mm-hmm. overrun and you had no option of buying toilet paper. Like, wouldn't it have been nice if we had an idea that COVID may be serious? You know, she made the point that the Republicans are the ones packing the courts with unqualified white judges. Like, in an era where we are talking about racial justice, and she made the point that Joe Biden has been protecting this democracy by supporting a peaceful transition of power, and you're absolutely right. Alejandra, I know you made that point. Vice President Pence did not give a straight answer when he was asked whether President Trump, if President Trump would not cede power, even if he lost, what he would do. Which is 
again, was a very alarming moment in the the debate. And also, I mean, I think one of Kamala Harris's strongest points when she talked about something that Pence could specifically speak to, which is the administration's handling of COVID, because he was the head of the coronavirus task force. I mean, he is the one who led this effort. And when she said, you know, this is the greatest failure of any American presidency, she came out swinging on that. And I thought that that really landed. And he, he again, couldn't speak to it. He couldn't speak to the things they were doing, the things they were planning there and give us anything to feel comfortable about. If anything, he pivoted to saying, well, I think you should trust the American people more. He kept trying to make it about the fact that calling him and calling the Trump administration on their COVID response was actually an affront to the American people, which again, I don't know where, who that landed well with, but that made no sense. Yeah, no. Another thing that didn't make sense was uh, Donald Trump's response. Uh, oh it was goodness. like all over the place for one hour where even Maria on Fox Business couldn't seem to understand what he was saying. And he said, you know, this monster that was on stage with Mike Pence, who destroyed her last night, by the way, but this monster. And I thought this wasn't even a contest last night. She's terrible. I don't think you could get worse and totally unlikable. Hello, Brett. I just said it, you know, and then she's a communist out of nowhere. It's like, what world are we living in? And so I saw that actually Junior, you know, when he was questioned about his eyes and why they're so bright red, he had this quote where he said, when they can't attack delivery, when they can't attack substance, they got to attack something. And I just was like, This is what they're going after with Kamala because she's smart and she's fierce. And you guys are right. We've all been there when we've been undermined and we didn't attack the men's delivery, but we attack on substance. And now all of a sudden, everything else is coming out of the woodwork. Well, they keep trying to make her and the Biden campaign seem untrustworthy. Pence last night said, you know, you're entitled to your own opinion, but not your own facts. Mm -hmm. This quote again from this morning from Donald Jr., This is their goal is to make Americans feel like this would be an administration that would not have American values top of mind and would not be trustworthy. And that's the only tactic that they really have at this point. They have to make Americans feel scared. And and they espouse, you know, law and order. That's one of the things that Pence talked about last night was the idea that, well, you know, all of everything around racial justice we understand and our sympathies go out but there's no excuse for the rioting and the looting and there needs to be law and order it's just like are you serious i mean can we talk about the fact that he specifically said quote implicit bias does not exist Mm -hmm. i mean in the environment that we're in right now everything that's happened everything that we've seen with our eyes on video but everything that communities have experienced to gaslight the country in that way. I mean, I I think all of our faces were the same as Kamala Harris, which was just like complete, like wide-eyed amazement that this man had the audacity to insult so many people and act like their experience is completely immaterial. He's so out of touch with young voters. Like, that's the other thing that I kept thinking was, you know, those of us who are living in this inclusive, young, optimistic 
world, we know that number one, the U.S. is not going to have a racial majority and that we are actually stronger. Like our superpower is in our diversity. And so we are trying to train ourselves of what is our bias? You know, how can we be better? How can we try to, you know, be a better and um, like whether it's with our company or with our government, better representative organization so that we are are doing better for all people. And so to hear him say that again, it's like, hello, (laughs) you're not on board with like churches in America. You're not on board with like anyone of youth. Like, I don't know where where they think that's going to fly, but I guess it does fly with certain segments of Michigan's race baiting, very dangerous, quote unquote, militias, quote unquote, terrorist organizations, because we saw this morning that there is a plot to overthrow the Michigan governor by some of these, you know, really racist people who believe that the Democrats are the problem. One of the things that when I was watching the news, I thought that was most interesting was their informant was actually wearing a wire. And there was word that, you know, that person had been discovered and that they might have to pull that informant out. And I just think when we think about patriotism right now, that person becomes a patriot, the person who is willing to put themselves at risk in order to stop this level of plot. And it's just such a scary time in the lead up to the election as we talk about, you know, the safety, safe and free and fair elections, people being, you know, the threat of people being intimidated at the ballot box, and now the threat of violence against our elected officials. And it's coming from the far right. I'm, I haven't seen anything that indicates that, you know, the left is the one who is stirring this up. It really is these militias that have been empowered by the words of this administration and by the leadership, quote unquote, of this president. Well, and again, you know, it's less obvious than it was with Donald Trump last week. But when Pence was saying things like our our Christianity and our religion, you know, is is under attack, you know, you have Kamala Harrison said very clearly that she and Joe Biden are also religious people. You know, it is not um, a, a war on religion and religious ideals, and nothing gets people more up in arms than language like that that makes them feel like the fibers of their very identity are under attack. And if anything, uh, I think she ended really strongly by pointing out that seven members of Bush's cabinet support them, 500 retired generals. There's so many Republicans, people across the aisle, people independents, because this is no longer a conversation about partisan conversation. It's about the integrity of our democracy, to your point, and and making sure that people can safely vote and making sure that there aren't riots or, or, or armed people attacking politicians or lying wait at polling locations. That's, that is not our democracy. And, and so I think she laid that out very clear, that that's really what's at stake. I agree with you. And it's one of the things that I think struck me the most and really hurt me like personally as a black woman raising two little black girls in this country, it's were his comments around Brianna Taylor and how mm-hmm. he trusted the justice system to do right in these situations when very clearly to a lot of Americans, 
justice was not served in this young woman's case and it's not being served in cases across the country, the ones that aren't on film and the ones that aren't causing people to be up in arms because people don't know about them. And it really struck me that this is at the belief, the core beliefs of the vice president. It's definitely at the core beliefs of the president and of this administration. And I thought if they haven't learned anything over the past couple of months, they they are willfully ignoring ignoring what's wrong. I mean, you can see kind of like the slow motion domino effect of this because he's saying that there is no implicit bias, yet at the same time, as Kamala Harris pointed out, they're packing the courts with many judges that are, are very politically minded and none of them being black, and then all the way up to the Supreme Court. And so if you kind of shut your eyes at every level here, you we're able to see now how the system gets stacked against communities of color from the very beginning, the very bottom to the very top. I mean, 200 judges. That's that's incredible. They, they're not even and this is the whole joke of packing the court. Like they're not even making this like, uh, you know, hidden thing. But then when they are on the edge of overturning Roe v. Wade, they decide to stop talking about it. And it's like, you know, this is my biggest frustration when they use women's health as a wedge issue when we don't regulate men's bodies at all and we need more solutions for women and men and families and they use this as a wedge issue only to get power and then say they're not going to do anything about it. It's like, no, (laughs) no more. I did find it interesting that he didn't give a hard answer on Roe versus Wade and just said that he was pro-life and dodged that question. He went back to foreign policy when asked about Roe versus Wade. Oh, yeah. He he talked about Iran, right? So it was like, you'd rather talk about Iran than abortion. Talk about a pivot. (laughs) But Kamala (laughs) is the one dodging questions. And then when it came to health care and whether you were going to end the Affordable Care Act, then you want to talk about abortion, but only to say that you're pro-life. It was like laughable. And so again, for anyone who's like saying that Kamala did anything other than outperform Mike Pence last night, I don't know that they watched the same debate. I mean, hands, hands down. It was a strong performance by Kamala Harris. But frankly, you know, in comparison, there was no comparison. And I know that that we're we said we were going to be brief. And I feel like we can talk about this all day. But before we go, let's talk about the fact that, you know, maybe Pence was going to have a morning where he was able to be the center of the news coverage. But of course, Donald Trump steps all over that and announces (laughs) that he will not participate in next week's virtual debate now that it is a virtual debate. Well, what do we he, think about that? First he was, and he's not. I bet you he backpedals and participates because now they've asked that they push the debates back by a week, each of them. The debate schedule was already agreed upon by both campaigns. You have to be able to, as a leader of this country, going through what is one of the most traumatic times um, that in modern history, you have to be able to pivot and he's just not even willing to. It smells fishy to me. I mean, he and he he said this whole thing about not wanting to participate in a virtual debate because it's a waste of time and so on. He said it by phone, calling in to Fox (laughs) News. Donald Trump is not somebody who shies away from being on television or even skyping in somewhere. So, so he's he's not able to participate in in the debate because it's a waste of time, or is there some other reason? 
No, he's able to participate in the debate. He just doesn't want to be asked hard questions. He wants to roll over anybody. And the idea of asking or answering, the idea of answering Americans' questions is too challenging for this president. I think the president's scared of the mute button. <laughs> because God, as we I all know well, well, we all know on zoom everyone is is under the, the authority of the mute button absolutely well as we always end on a shout out it wouldn't be right if we didn't i think that we give it to the fly that stole the show last night <laughs> and the biden team for being able to capitalize on that because that biden fly swatter is sold out the, the fly awesome? has a lot of followers on Twitter already. <laughs> the fly is is pretty fly. I was worried he got COVID. Pray for that fly. <laughs> let us let us pray for that fly and for the vice president to recover from whatever that ailment in his eye is. <laughs> All right. On that note, we will see you guys next week. Please take care and be safe and wear your mask and vote. Absolutely. <laughs>